Thank you, Dax. Thanks for leading us in prayer. Uh, certainly is a lot going on in our world right now, and I feel like we show up every Sunday with heavy hearts with a lot that's happening in the news and appreciate the opportunity to come before the Lord together in prayer. Um, we're in a series that we're doing on marriage, and uh, this is a series, as I've said before, that's really not just for married people. There's only one of these sermons that's actually going to be totally for and about married people. Um, so I'm going to start here. My, you know, my family loves the movie Megamind. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the movie Megafine, Megamind. It's a movie from uh, 2010, and the, uh, the kind of main protagonist is a villain named Megamind who has a giant blue head, and he's played by Will Ferrell, and he's got a sidekick named Minion. And Megamind quickly gets rid of the superhero and finds life in a world where he's the villain without any superheroes to fight to be really boring. <laughs> and so this movie goes on with him and, and Minion, who is kind of like part piranha, I guess, in a little fishbowl, and, and they're, um, they're, they're escapades. But my favorite line from this movie, my, which my kids have been quoting a lot, is when Megamind and Minion get into a conflict. And Megamind has a hard time admitting he's wrong. And so this is the line he says. He's like, you were right. I was less right, Minion. And um, I love that movie quote because it so captures the human heart in conflict. Now, I, I pause as I say that because it also apparently captures the alien, the big-headed blue alien, right, uh, heart, but like us in conflict, right? It's so hard for us to admit that we are wrong. It's so hard for us to deal with conflict. It, and yet it's a normal part of every relationship that has any proximity or closeness to it. Now, what I said right there may be really hard for some of you to hear, that conflict is normal. That conflict's normal. You know, Americans in particular think that conflict in any relationship is a sign that the relationship is somehow doomed. We also are famously really uncomfortable with negative emotions like sadness and anger and fear. We, we run from those emotions. And so while it's common for us to view conflict as a sign that like the relationship's doomed, to run away from that, you know, nothing could be further from the truth in the Bible. Uh, conflict in the Bible is not an obstacle to the health of our relationships. It's not a sign the relationship's going anywhere. It's dying. It's rather an opportunity. Conflict in the Bible is an opportunity for us to learn to love. It's an opportunity to love. So conflict itself is not the issue. It's really what you do with it that matters. I want you to think this morning about two porcupines. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Where do baby porcupines come from? Right, they're mammals. So in order for there to be baby porcupines, mommy and daddy porcupines have to mate, right? right? And, and you think about this, this has got to be very delicate business because there are spines, all, quills all over, right? Like this has got to be really careful. What a great picture for me, though, of human relationships. Like we are sinners. We're people who are sin sinners and sufferers. And we come into this world broken. It's like being covered in quills. And you try to get close to somebody else in a relationship. 
and you got to be really careful. Somebody's going to get hurt. That's sort of life in this fallen world. Again, conflict itself is not an obstacle. It doesn't mean a relationship's doomed, but it's an opportunity to love. So let's read this passage together that's about conflict in our relationships. We're going to read today together as we do every week out loud. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, 25 through 31. If you'll find it either on the screen or in your uh, bulletin. Let's read aloud together. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we pray that you would take these words that are your words and drive them deep into our heart. Lord, I pray that people, as we we come together today around your word, Lord, that we would see Jesus. Lord, I pray you hide me behind the cross, Lord, that we would see Jesus and desire him and love him more for our time together in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's this story about a young Jewish rabbi who comes to study under an older Jewish rabbi. Now, the older Jewish rabbi is famous for his marriage counseling. This guy is so good at helping couples through problems. And so uh, this young rabbi is really eager to sit under his tutelage. And first day he shows up, and the, the rabbi has a couple that are waiting to meet with him, Mr. and Mrs. Goldstein. Okay, so... First, he brings in Mrs. Goldstein, and he says, now, what what seems to be the problem? And she goes on for about 20 minutes about all of her complaints and the bitterness in her marriage and how hard things are, and after 20 minutes, he he stops her and he says, I think you're completely right. You know, it's unbelievable what you have to put up with this man, and yet you keep giving and giving. I just have tremendous admiration for you. Mrs. Goldstein says, oh, Rabbi, thank you so much for listening to me. I feel so much better. And she goes out. So the rabbi then calls in Mr. Goldstein. And Mr. Goldstein comes in and he says, now, just tell me um, what seems to be the problem. And Mr. Goldstein goes on and on with all his complaints and bitterness about what he's had to endure over all these years in his marriage. And after about 20 minutes, the rabbi stops him and says, oh, Mr. Goldstein, I think you're completely right. It's unbelievable what you've had to put up with that woman. And yet you keep giving and giving. I have tremendous admiration for you. Mr. Goldstein says, oh, Rabbi, thank you so much for listening to me. I feel so much better. And he leaves. Now, at this point, the young assistant is really puzzled. And he he turns to the master rabbi and says, "I, I I don't understand what you do here. Why not, says the old rabbi. The assistant says, well, you, you said that Mrs. Goldstein was completely right. 
Yes, answered the old rabbi. And then, and then you said Mr. Goldstein was completely right. Yes, answered the master. Well, they can't both be completely right. You're absolutely right, said the master. <laughs> now, do you get it? Uh, when there's conflict, when there's conflict in any relationship, there are two parties, two perspectives that both think they are right. Very good. Y'all are on top of it this morning. You both think they're right. And, and, and that word perception or perspective is really key, right? Because both of them have a perception of what is going on, a perspective on what's happening in the relationship. It's not like these are two people debating about some kind of scientific law or mathematical formula. They're not debating whether gravity is real. They're debating what's happening in the relationship. And both people have a perspective that is in some way valid because it's their own. You know, when we think about conflict and relationships, one of the things that makes conflict hard is when we view it as win-lose, right? Somebody's got, we got to resolve the conflict, which usually means in resolving the conflict, we need to figure out who was more right. I was right, Minion, you were less right, right? Like, you know, like we've got to figure out who's right. And when you do that, you've already in some ways lost. Because in conflict, both parties have to matter, right? There's got to be, if you're going to have conflict in a way that actually works toward health in a relationship, it's got to be in a way where both people feel like they can walk away and say, I matter and you matter. Not just you matter and not just I matter. And that's why I want to use the word manage conflict this morning. And here's my outline if you take notes, okay? First, we're going to talk about unmanaged conflict. Then we're going to talk about managing conflict, and then my last point is going to be under new management, okay? Uh, So first, unmanaged conflict. Look here at verse 31. Listen again to the dreaded list, right? Six things here that Paul lays out for us. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, along with all malice. It's like the dreaded, the, the, the bad list of all the ways that anger and conflict is destructive in our relationships, you can think of these unmanaged conflicts in sort of two different categories. You can think of them as visible and invisible, those that are like seen and unseen, and also noisy and quiet. So let's think about this. There are visible manifestations, like the word wrath here, which means wrath means punishing anger, um, or invisible manifestations. Think about bitterness. Like bitterness is internal. Or malice. Malice means wanting to hurt another person in your heart. Right? Those are visible versus invisible. And you can think about them, the quiet ones, the quiet ones, and the noisy ones. So the quiet manifestations are like slander. That's gossip, right? It's behind someone's back, right? The noisy ones, the word here for clamor just means shouting, right? Some of you grown up in homes that have noisy conflict, some have quiet conflict. Some have visible conflict. It's all out in the open. Some have invisible conflict. It's going on. We're just not talking about it, right? So, like, these are a lot of the ways that these um, conflict manifests itself. Uh, one one uh, marriage expert named John Gottman, who I cited last week, he calls, he kind of breaks them down into four categories. He calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay? Not the literal ones from the book of Revelation, but four types of conflict 
that are destructive. And they fit in these categories. So think about criticism. Criticism is describing the problem in your relationship as a flaw in the personality of the other person. Right? It's not just complaint. It's complaint taken to the next level up. It, it, it takes, um, for example, a lot of criticism begins with you statements. You're so lazy, right? Uh, you always or you never. Like, both those statements imply uh, criticism, like there's a problem with your personality. Who you are as a person, there's something wrong with that. Um, and some of that is like irritability and complaints that aren't ever addressed in a relationship, and so they go up to the next level, right? The other person won't acknowledge them, and so sort of amps up in the relationship. That's criticism. Second one is defensiveness. I'm not being defensive. You're being defensive, right? Like, uh, defensiveness is an attempt to protect yourself. Think Wonder Woman's, like, uh, bracelets of steel or whatever those are, right? Like, right uh, to defend your innocence, to ward off an attack, right? Um, this can be done by making excuses, deflecting, pushing away responsibility. Sometimes it's done by counterattacking, right? Whining. That's the innocent victim status, right? Like, the antidote to defensiveness is actually accepting responsibility. But man, defensiveness, that's tasty. We're all pretty good at that. Contempt. To show contempt is to put somebody down and to take a higher plane. It has a view of superiority to it. It has a view of feeling above another person. Right? It's a position of, I'm better, I'm smarter, I'm kinder. Uh, I would never do that. It's a better than orientation. It may be even accompanied by belligerence. There's a mindset which un undergirds contempt. It's this negative habit of mind where you're always sort of scanning the other person for what they're doing wrong and never celebrating or noticing the good things that they contribute in a relationship. You know, I think that it's interesting. Doctors have found that there's a correlation between the life expectancy of a wife and the amount of contempt in a marriage. Do you know that? That a husband's contempt predicts a wife's number of infectious diseases over the next four years. That's really powerful. And contempt is one of the single greatest causes of divorce. Uh, finally, stonewalling. Stonewalling means one person withdraws while staying in the room. Right? You know what this is. Stop talking. Cross arms. Look away. All the signs that I'm here, but I'm not here anymore. I'm not part of this. Now, I want to ask, do you see any of these in yourself? I mean, to be honest, you've got to be honest. Like, this is church, okay? I know sometimes it's the place where people are least honest. But, like, but look, here's the thing. If we're really honest with ourselves, we're all in this list in at least a couple places. I mean, let me just tell you on me, I am really good at defensiveness and contempt. I mean, like, not like amateur level right? Like semi-pro. I'm actually really good at this. And I, I think that some of you also could find yourself in this. Or in the list, the, the dreaded list, like slander, malice, clamor, you know, all, all these ways that stuff comes out of us. Sometimes we're even surprised by it. You ever been surprised by yourself and your reaction? 
Like, ooh, I didn't know that was even in there until it comes out in the conflict. That's unmanaged conflict. And we see it all the time. We're people who live in a world with unmanaged conflict all around us and in all our close relationships. Porcupines, remember? What about managing conflict? Let's think about managing conflict. See, Paul's point in this passage is not just to point out what's wrong, but to help us to actually take steps toward managing conflict in our relationships. And all of this grows out of the section that we read a couple weeks ago here. So this, this section, and we see this in verse 25. It says, therefore, which means it connects to what came right before this in the passage, and it grows out of what we read here in 24, 20 through 24. Paul had told them, hey, I want you to take off what doesn't match a life in Jesus and put on what matches a life in Jesus. And now he's applying that to their relationships. I want you to take off what doesn't match a life in Jesus in your relationships with one another and put on what matches a life in Jesus with each other. And this is what we're going to do is we, we see these four applications of how you live out resurrection identity in your closest relationships. And again, this is not, you, you could apply this to marriage, but this applies to parent-child relationships Sibling relationships, best friend relationships, co-worker relationships. How do we manage conflict? How do we live resurrection life toward one another on a horizontal level? Four things here that Paul shows us. I want you to write these down. First, manage conflict honestly. Manage conflict honestly. Look at verse 25. Speak the truth with your neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. I think a lot of us have trouble speaking the truth with each other. We have a hard time to be being truly honest. I mean, maybe it doesn't feel kind. Maybe we think we should just always turn the other cheek. Maybe you've heard, like, the way to be a Christian in relationships is always take one for the team. But I want you to think about the context within which Jesus tells people to turn the other cheek. In the Sermon on the Mount, that's, he's talking about that in the context of being in a society ruled by Rome that is oppressing, it's an oppressive government regime. He's not talking about interpersonal relationships. You know, like we take this and we sort of skip over lots of other teaching in the New Testament. Lots of other teaching about if your brother shows has sins against you, you go show him his fault. If you sin against your brother, you go to him. You know, there's, there's, a, there's teaching in James and Ephesians and Matthew all, all over the New Testament about actually dealing with conflict truthfully and not just taking one for the team. Well, sometimes we can misapply that. There are couples who, when we've done a lot of, we've done a lot of premarital counseling, Susan and I, and we've sat down with couples before who you ask them, well, tell us about one of your recent conflicts. Oh, we've never had any conflict. Oh, really? Because I know that one of you knows that you've had conflict. The other one doesn't. Right? There's been a constant pattern, apparently, in this relationship of one person just sort of subjugating themselves and not speaking up and not saying what's true. You know, there are of course, there are wrong ways to tell the truth. We just talked about criticism. Criticism is death by 1,000 cuts, right? It's, it's all, you always, you never, right? We're not talking about that, but healthy relationships 
tell the truth. Healthy relationships tell the truth. Both people can say, this is what I need in this relationship. Both people can say, this is what I feel. This is painful to me. I'm concerned about this. Both people can tell the truth. And here's the best way to tell the truth. I statements, not you statements. Right, let's try out a couple of these. So we're gonna, I'm going to ask you a question, healthy or unhealthy. I'm gonna, so, you ready? Test, test time this morning. Um, you're always so insensitive. Helpful truth-telling? Healthy or unhealthy? Good, right? Like, no, let's try it again. I need you to know why that hurt me. Is that healthy or unhealthy? Healthy. I need you to know this. Right? Try another one. You never listen to me. Everything I say, you just ignore. Healthy, truth-telling, or unhealthy? Right? Or let's try that again. I feel like when I share things with you, you sometimes don't listen very well. Healthy or unhealthy? Good. Right. So, like, I think that a lot of times what I see in our context, what I see in our church, and, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on some toes, but, like, we have a tendency to treat relationships and sin in our relationships like somebody handling a pair of binoculars. So, when I was a kid, I got this pair of binoculars from my grandfather. And if you look through binoculars the right way, they make things that are far away seem close up. You ever turn the binoculars around backwards? What happens when you turn the binoculars around backwards? They make things that are close up look like what? Far Teeny, right? They look very far away. And I, I think this is what we do all the time in our relationships. We're always picking up the binoculars and looking at the other person with the, the right way, and everything about them looks really magnified. Their sins, their problems, their annoying habits. Man, that's like big. And then we're like, hey, we, I want you to look at me through the, look at backward. Look at me. You know, I, my, my problems are teeny. My contributions to the conflicts in our relationship are very, very small. You know, but I, th- I think Jesus has some words to say about that, doesn't he? Doesn't he say something about a log and a speck? Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like he's calling us to have the right view of ourselves in our relationships. To take an honest view in our relationships at our own hearts. The way we operate. To be really, to, if we're going to magnify anything, to magnify our own hearts so we really see what's going on inside of us. I mean, why should we speak honestly with one another? Paul, Paul tells us, because we are members of one another. I belong to you, and you belong to me. This is very, very true in a marriage relationship. This is also so true in the body of Christ. I belong to Kevin, and Kevin belongs to me. We are members of one another. Look, this call for us to take seriously, to, to manage conflict in honest ways, we got to hear this. This is so important. Our world is being completely torn apart by conflict. The body of Christ doesn't know how to manage, right? It's time to talk. Honest talk. All right, second, managing conflict purposefully in a timely manner. Look at, look at verse 16. Do not let the sun go down your... Wait, do I have that right? No, 26. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Um, now, do you understand why we're called to deal with something in a timely way? And here, here's why. Because there's a lie going around that says time heals all wounds. 
That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Right? Time doesn't heal all wounds. If you cut yourself badly this afternoon, let's say you're at, you, you go out in your backyard and you pick up something heavy and you happen to cut your arm and it's dirty and you don't clean it, you don't wash it, and you just let it be like that, what's going to happen to that cut? It's going to get infected. It's going to ooze that awesome pus. Right? It's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be nasty. And time is not making that better, necessarily. Time may actually mean that that gets really, really sick. And you're going to have to take extreme action to deal with that. Same is true in our relationships. Some of us think, like, if I just pretend, it'll go away. If I don't, like, pay attention or engage, this will just go away. Are you kidding me? If you don't manage conflict, it will manage you. If you don't run after and deal with your conflicts, they will ruin your life. Time does not heal all wounds. I don't care what Enneagram number you are. There's some people who are like, well, I'm an Enneagram blah, 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 and that means I have a personality thing where I don't really deal with conflict very well. You know what? In the New Testament, God doesn't flavor different conflict strategies based on personality types. He calls all of us to deal with things in a timely way. To deal with them purposefully. Third, manage conflict gently. Verse 29. What does Paul say here? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Why? But only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let me just be super, super clear. Outbursts of, of cursing, yelling, and name-calling have zero business in our relationships. Those are always wrong. Right? It's never justified. Now, that doesn't mean that all anger is always wrong. There are things worth being angry about. There, there's such a thing as, a right, as righteous anger. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Paul's statement here, be angry and do not sin. There are things in this world worth being angry about. Right? There, and that's from, also from Psalm 4. We see Jesus being angry, him flipping over the tables. There, there's, don't hear me say that anger is wrong in all cases, but righteous anger is never belittling or yelling or name-calling. Righteous anger is, is incredibly focused. It's in control. It's, it's gentle because it's so powerful. Do you ever think about that? Like the skill of a surgeon is powerful because it's so gentle and yet focused. It's focused. But see, corrupting talk, that's out-of-control anger. Uh, clamor, as he says in verse 31. Corrupting talk tears down. Love builds up. Paul says, build each other up. There's a way to communicate deep hurt and anger and frustration, um, fears, even confronting sin in a way that's like the surgeon. Gentle, powerful, in control. Maybe even fiercely. But still build each other up. And, and look, this is what he says. Actually, when someone does that in your life, that's a kind of grace. You're, you're giving grace to another person by dealing with them in that kind of a surgical cut rather than the hatchet, right? That surgical. You know, um, I'll talk about uh, my family. My wife, Susan, 
is like Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay, I was trying to look for something besides Jedi or Yoda, right? Uh, but uh, when it comes to dealing with conflict in a gentle way, uh, she does so by asking me good questions. You notice how Jesus asked a lot of good questions? Man, sometimes she can ask me a question that I'm like, hey, I don't know how to answer like an, a, a very good pointed question is a way of dealing with conflict in a way that holds up a mirror and allows a person to be self-reflective. You know, anger is honestly most powerful when it's gentle, under control, and it's a source of grace for me in my marriage. Finally, manage conflict sensitively. Look at verse 30. Paul warns us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, that may not much, make much sense to you. So let's also pick up the other weird verse here about the thief. Did you notice, like, random verse here about the thief? Verse 29, or 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, what these verses show us is God is calling us to be sensitive to one another and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. A thief... A thief steals things from another person because he's only thinking about number one. Right? He's only thinking about self. This is what we do in lots of our conflicts. We're not thinking about how can I contribute to the, the good of another person or build them up. We're thinking about me, me, me. Right? Like self. We end up stealing from another person. We end up taking from other people and grieving the spirit. You know, we have no ears to hear the convicting voice of the Spirit saying to you, what are you doing? You know, we're, we're all about self. Remember, being sensitive in your relationships means that both people have to matter. You matter, and I matter. If I matter and you don't matter, I'm stealing from you. Right? Well, uh, being about managing conflict is being sensitive to the Spirit's prompting and sensitive to the needs of the other person. You matter to me. What, what you're upset about, it matters to me, even though I'm upset too. So here's my tool. I told you, every time we do one of these sermons, I'm given a practical tool for like man, dealing with conflict, dealing with our relationships, dealing with next week forgiveness. So uh, this week, the 20-minute timeout. The 20-minute timeout. So he, here's what I mean. Uh, in conflict, your body, physiologically, okay, your, your physical body, and some of y'all may correct me on this, so just... Give me a break. I'm an English major. Okay, so um, this is what your body moves into. It's called diffuse physiological arousal, or DPA for short. And the way that works is in situations that are perceived as dangerous, like your, your body, you move into fight or flight, right? There's, an, there's a response that you have that's immediate. And here's what's happening on the inside. The vagus nerve is inhibited, which releases a parasympathetic break on your heart. So what happens to your heart rate? goes up, right? You felt some of that before. You're like, wow, my heart is racing right now. Um, when your heart rate goes past 100 beats per minute, the body starts secreting adrenaline. Adrenaline makes you jumpy. Blood flow to your gut and your kidneys is shut down. The peripheral arteries constrict and blood is drawn into the per from the periphery of the body to the trunk of your body to minimize potential damage to your internal organs. Think like you're trying to protect yourself the kidneys activate the renin 
angiotensin system, which increases blood pressure. Your pituitary adrenal axis is ag aggravated and the adrenal cortex secretes cortisol. Your body begins getting fluids into the bloodstream from the liver, converting gly glycogen to glucose. So you can fight, fight really fast or run. Blood flow to the brain is maintained, but mostly to the bottom of the brain, the brain stem, which they, some people call your reptile brain, right? They're like, I'm ready to attack. Fight or flight patterns of behavior get activated. So you go into tunnel vision and tunnel hearing. Now, all this means is what you already know. When I'm angry, when I'm upset, when there's a conflict going on, I am not my best self. I'm not my most rational self. I'm not my most in-control self. I am scary self. Like, I feel out of control. Anybody ever feel out of control? Okay, there's like three people with me here this morning. Good. Right? Like, um, so enter the 20-minute timeout. The 20-minute timeout. Now, see, when there's a conflict, when the DPA is in full effect, the best thing you can do often is timeout. And, and here's why. The body takes 20 minutes or more to recover from that DPA response. Your body physiologically takes that. So, uh, so here's what you do for those 20 minutes. It, it doesn't mean you go back into your room and rehearse all the ways that you're hurt or angry. <laughs> you don't, you're, not, you're not stoking this fire. You're trying to let the fire die down, right? So you listen to calming music. You go for a walk. You breathe, right? You try to calm yourself down physically. You distract yourself. Uh, it, it might be really good for you to have a mutually upon hand signal, a nice one, right, like this, right, that you agree on. This means no matter what happens, you don't get to follow me around and keep having a conflict. We actually are going to separate, and we're going to do this for a agreed upon amount of time. Maybe beforehand, you say, or right when you do this, you're like 30 minutes. Like, okay, 30 minutes. We're going to come back together. It means we are going to deal with this. We're not going to never deal with this, but we're going to just give each other a break, and um, this is because, as Dr. John Cox says, the best responses to, to conflict are golf responses, not tennis responses. Now, Cox came here a couple years ago. He's done some stuff for us on marriage and parenting. If you want resources in that, I'm happy to connect you. But I love his illustration of this. He said, you know, if you ever watched a pro golf tournament, when the ball comes on the green, the golfer is not just running up and, like, hitting it, right? He, like, lines up like looks at how it's breaking maybe picks up some grass and drops it to see which way the wind's going and spends time setting up the shot even practices it a couple times before they step up to the ball right there's 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 time for like pausing and thinking before you take the shot now tennis tennis is what most of us do in conflict balls coming at you 90 miles an hour over the net you're just like i need to get this thing back you know, like, it's just hit it as hard as you can, as fast as you can, and hope it goes on the court. That's me playing tennis, right? So, like, tennis responses is what we normally do in conflict. And this 20-minute timeout is like, can we play golf for a little bit? Maybe we should slow down and play golf here. Um, for us to deal with conflict well, we've got to take time. Now, this is not, to, to be honest, this, some of you might be saying, well, wait, I thought the Bible said right here, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Let's, let's just say, what, what does that mean? That means to deal with anger in a timely way, but let's not be literalistic about that. I know some couples who start a, a conflict at 1 a.m. 
Nobody is thinking great at 1 a.m. unless you're a college student. Right? None of the rest of us are. We live in normal time. And maybe it would actually be good for you to go to sleep and agree that you'll deal with it in the morning. Like you, 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 time out still means we're dealing with it in a timely way. It doesn't have to be immediately. And, and finally, how do you do all this? Like, this is hard for us. Dealing with conflict, you know, honestly and gently and sensitively. How are we going to do all that? Well, here's the good news. Because you are, the Bible tells us here, under new management. Remember what Paul here says about new management? Look at verse 30. You are sealed for the Spirit, by the Spirit, for the day of redemption. This means that if you are a Christian, if you have ever said, Jesus, come into my life in any way whatsoever, the Spirit is a permanent reality in your life. Now, you could grieve the Spirit. You don't have to listen to the Spirit. You could push the Spirit's counsel away and shut your ears to it. But the Spirit is a permanent resident in yourself. This means, like, as Christians, you should be like the queen. You know how the queen never uses first-person pronouns? Never says I, but we, as in the royal we, right? Like, this is how we should talk about ourselves as Christians. Because if you are a Christian, there's no longer a you, there's a y'all, right? The Spirit and you are resident in you. And this Spirit is so important for us in thinking about dealing with conflict. Because there is nothing like conflict to make us feel alone. I mean, we feel like something's wrong with me. You know, I'm the only one like this. No one understands me. See, conflict makes us feel misunderstood, isolated, afraid, unknown, unloved. But here's the thing you think about when you're 20-minute timeout. Never alone. You're never alone. You may feel alone, but you need to say to yourself, I'm not alone. I'm sealed by the Spirit. I'm not abandoned. I am sealed by the Spirit. I am not unloved. I'm sealed by the Spirit. Right? I, I'm not isolated. I am sealed by the Spirit. I'm not misunderstood. I am sealed by the Spirit. You have an every-moment companion in your life. You have an every-moment God with you. That is so true. You are under new management. You ought to, like, take that sign and put it over your bed. Under new management. Right? This means we don't have to let conflict manage us and our relationships. We can manage conflict. Hey, have you ever bought at the store either a, a toy for a kid or a gadget for your home or your, you, you know, your car or something that's battery-operated? And you have to be really careful before you bring this thing home. You have to look really closely at the little print. What are you looking for, class? Batteries not included, right? Because that's almost always on there, and it's almost always in like, what, like six-point font, right? Like little tiny uh, eye exam font. Like nobody can read this because otherwise you get at home and you end up like a dad on Christmas morning. You're like, oh, no, we don't have AA or 9 volt or whatever, you know. Made it. We don't have all that stuff, right? But here's the good news for you this morning. But as a Christian, when we read these commands of Scripture, these things about how we deal with conflict, about how we deal with, the, with our closest relationships, this is the good news of the Bible. Batteries are included, right? The Spirit is given to you. God doesn't give you commands in the Bible 
without giving you the Spirit to help you keep the commands. And if you're here this morning, and you're sinning under conviction, and you're like, man, I just got nailed to the wall, or I feel really bad. Am I feeling bad this morning? Like, one of the things that is good about feeling bad this morning is it means, guess what? It's working. The system's working. The Spirit is alive inside of you. If you feel conviction of the Spirit this morning over ways that you have treated other people, ways that you operate in your life, and the Spirit's like, the system's working. And you can rejoice in that today. And you can know that that same Spirit that's working you to, can bring you conviction, can help you. He is the helper in the places of our conflicts, the places where we need to grow. Let's go to him now and ask for that. Lord, we thank you for the always and abiding presence of the Spirit. We know that some of us are here this morning filled with doubts about whether we're even Christians. Lord, we think we've so rejected you. We're so screwed up. Lord, surely you're done with us. We think we've mishandled conflicts in our relationships so much that surely you're done with us. Lord, we thank you that the Spirit isn't based on our feelings. Lord, he has entered into us when we have moved toward you and said yes to you in the past. Lord, we pray, Father, that we would be people who learn more and more to listen to his convicting voice and draw on his power in our, in our relationships. Father, so we might be changed people. Lord, we want to change. We want to see you work deeply in us. Father, we pray this for your glory and for our joy. In his name we pray.